Ladies and gentlemen and everybody else in between, welcome back to Of Marks and Men, a wrestling podcast. Coming to you straight here from one of the greatest wrestling hubs in the world, Memphis, Tennessee. My name is Brian Balow. I'll be your hosting, your... Uh, your your guide on this journey here and probably the better guide and the probably you know the person that's going to be taking better care of keeping this show on track is my buddy over here my pal the lenny to my george the marty Janetti to my sean michaels mr jd rieger why do i get the feeling i'm about to go through a plate glass window every week you're getting one of these <laughs> every week you are getting one of these that you are that guy to me no matter how much you actually control this and keep us on track i'm the star all right star well here's <laughs> here's where i think we should start the primary figures in both major companies wwe and aew both suffered Major injuries, both CM Punk, who is the AEW champion, and Cody Rhodes, who is the new Golden Boy, are out indefinitely. How does this affect both companies? Well, JD, first I was going to say, you know, when we started off the show, I was just going to chime in and say, I'm really high right now. But I'm really high by the fact that there's been so much great wrestling this week. It's amazing what we've seen coming through all that, but on top of all that, yes, you are dealing with two of the biggest names on the two major companies right now, CM Punk and Cody Rhodes, both being out indefinitely. Uh, Cody Rhodes with the gruesome pectoral injury that we saw last night. Oh my and gosh. CM Punk with the uh, self-inflicted uh, ankle the uh, break that he got from his stage dive into the crowd. So two very different scenarios to take into this, but two very devastating moves of guys that are absolutely part of the plan of everybody's movement right now as to where their company is going and where they're moving forward. And, and where do you go from that? Well, let's take it one at a time. Who do you think steps up and claims the interim title for AEW? great question and i was gonna get into that a little bit more like organically down the road but since you're throwing that question out to me because you're really good at this i'm just gonna bring it up right now all right so you you've got all these ground rules laid out and i don't have them actually laid out in front of me unfortunately with all the notes that i've taken but you have the scenario where uh i believe moxley is the technical number one contender right now right so and you he, have that coming in and he's going to face the winner of a battle royal to determine who faces the winner of some new japan at uh, at uh, Forbidden Door. Right, right. So you have that coming in. It's a little convoluted. It, it, it is, and, and they meant well, and once again, they were caught off guard. I don't think they were expecting uh, CM Punk to take that title off of uh, Adam Page and just uh, end up injuring his ankle and being out with surgery. So you have to kind of recoup from that. Um, when it comes into it, um, is Moxley a good contender? Absolutely. Moxley fits into the AEW guidelines of things and is a core player for them. So you want to see him involved. Is Moxley the guy that I want to see walk away with that interim title? No. And here's what I want to see happen. I don't know how it's going to come about. And I don't know all the details that they're going to do to lead up to this. But there's one guy that sticks out in my mind that I want to see take over this spot and to absolutely take over in the interim for CM Punk and to also be a buildup for when CM Punk comes back. And that, I'll be him a boy of mine, is Brian Danielson. I kind of thought that might be where you were going. I mean, I, I'm, if, if you ask me most things about who should be holding a position of power in wrestling, it's probably Brian Danielson or it's probably CM Punk. But put it in this scenario. Brian Danielson has had a great run throughout his career in everything that he's done. And since he's been in AEW, he's had a great run. You know, he's found himself as a solo artist and getting into all that and then moving on, you know, getting into the uh, the, the Blackpool Combat Club with uh, William Regal and um, John Moxley. It's a great faction for them to have, but you still haven't seen outside of his initial you know, turning into AEW, uh, a, a great singles run from Brian Danielson. And this is the time for that to come now. 
And I think that Moxley and Danielson can fight over the title, but still maintain their respect for each other within the Blackpool Combat Club. Absolutely. they. I mean, but that that is the basis of that Blackpool Combat Club is that you can have those two guys be like, hey, this, you know, you look back to... Uh, it doesn't have to break up the band. No, um, I, I was going to say, I, I can't remember the year. I want to say it was like 91 or 92, but you go back to the Royal Rumble and the one and two entries were uh, Axe and Smash or Demolition. It was when they were making a big point of all this coming out that, you know, there, there, are, no, there are no alliances here. And when it came down to it, the two of them beat the hell out of each other. The third competitor came in, and then they eventually teamed back up and got into it. You can see the same thing coming out of this Blackpool Combat Club. You can have a contested match between Danielson and John Moxley and have it work out just fine and not have it tear the group apart because they are so focused on fighting and the respect of the sport and what they're doing right now. So no two better people as far as their competency to go into this role, but even more so on top of that, you've had moxley there before he'd still be a good person for it but you almost want to save moxley getting that title for a a, a better time where it's not conflicted i mean you can't a tell me that brian danielson versus cm punk isn't going to be a fantastic match b that brian danielson can't handle that in the interim and c on top of all that you can have them essentially be babyface and babyface and have a winner-take-all match to take that title and not have it really drag anybody through the mud. I could be down with that. Taking it to WWE, Roman Reigns is out for a short amount of time. Everyone was expecting Cody Rhodes to shine at this point, and now he's out of the picture. Who steps up? I mean, who does step up at that point? I mean... They've really struggled with that for a while, and it seemed like they were really panning it down that Cody was going to be that guy jumping in and taking over to be a credible threat to Roman Reigns. And, you know, you've seen that. I mean, we talked about it last episode. You know, I was a little disappointed that this three-match set between uh, Seth Rollins and Cody Rhodes went completely the way of Cody Rhodes and not that I'm bothered by the booking of that but it really hits a weird spot where you don't have that rubber match and it by no means buried Seth Rollins but you were building up Cody Rhodes to be something significant and a strong force to come in and he can still come back with that I mean they're they're quoting that you know he needs surgery for his torn pectoral and he's going to have to come back to that and that's essentially you know a six-month time frame Folks have come back from less than that. Um, do I expect Cody Rhodes by SummerSlam? No. At this point, no, that's completely out of the question. And that's throwing in a big monkey wrench into that system for a lot of things, not only in their short-term planning, but also in their long-term planning, because that's a big name to cut out of SummerSlam, because you were banking on a lot of those people wanting those SummerSlam tickets to see Cody Rhodes show up and do something, whether it was a match with Roman Reigns, whether it was something else in between. You were expecting Cody Rhodes to be at SummerSlam this year, and he's not going to be there. I mean, if he's there, he might show up and he might say something, but he's not wrestling a match. So you're hitting a hard point of where you're going to go with that. And honestly, at the top of this right now, you don't you don't have a great name to come at Roman Reigns. You have Seth Rollins, who can be functional and can talk his ass off. So he might work that angle where. He can work his way and weasel it back into this, but is there a front runner standing out? No, because really everybody was expecting Cody to be that guy to step in on it. I think knowing that he was going to be out for six months, it makes more sense to have him win. Like, does that make sense to you? Like he can't go out. He can't go out on a loss and then be gone for six months. True. I mean, he can't just walk away on that. Uh, I, I, we're we're going to get into another debate here where I get into my old school traditions a little bit. Um, you know, we, we'd, we'd all heard about the injury and we heard about the house show on Saturday that Seth was supposed to face Cody and Cody bowed out. I believe uh, Drew McIntyre was the one who stepped in into the place to take over for him. So you figured it was something fairly significant enough, but then you break it down to it 
comes down to game time and they acknowledge the injury and they talk about Cody coming out and Cody comes out and he comes out in his robe and he's all into it. That, once again, that reveal was fantastic. Cody coming out and looking sharp, but then Cody dropping the shoulders on his entrance robe and seeing his pecs bruised up like that. A, makes for a fantastic bit of storytelling and wrestling. I, I can't deny that. And Cody has been adamant about saying he wanted to be in that position. No one made him do it. So, once again... I'll support any person acting on their craft wanting to do something, whether I think it's the right decision or not. I'll give Cody the credit. Cody wanted to do it, and he can do it. Cool. Let him have it. Good for him. When he took that robe off and I saw that, every part of me wanted to say, why are we doing this right now? There should be no reason for it this. It was shocking. It was it was a shocking. Uh, it's definitely one of the more brutal injuries that you can see out there. I mean, people had been talking about on the internet that it was you know it was makeup or whatever. Uh, sure, maybe there was a little makeup involved. Makeup to doesn't accentuate. change colors. Ma- makeup doesn't change colors. Makeup doesn't add swelling, and that was there and that was prevalent throughout the match. So no, that's that's not a that's not a fake injury. That's something he's dealing with. And that was Cody standing up and wanting to make a point by by doing this. And I support him with, especially him coming out and saying that was his decision to do so. The initial me wanted to be like, no, Cody, stop. Why are you doing this? And we still don't know the answer to that. There's the potential that, I mean, you could tell he he favored that elbow throughout the entire match. He, and in kayfabe, he hammed it up a bunch. He was throwing the, the strong left jabs. He was doing everything he could to avoid it. Then again, he also was taking bull ropes to the, uh, to the peck. He was taking a bunch of shots to there. He had to have at least exacerbated that injury a little bit. And you wonder where Cody Rhodes and his recovery time was coming into that match before Sunday with that injury and where he's leaving after that match on Sunday and what his recovery time is. And they had to have told him there was nothing he could do to make it worse. They had to have told him that. Well, I mean, the WWE doctors have told people lots of things over the years, and that doesn't always check That's out. That's fair. So that part scares me a little bit. I'm hoping it's just Cody knowing his body well enough and going, I can take a beating or two, and this won't make things worse. And it, he didn't really take any heavy, heavy blows to it. I mean, yes, he took like a bull rope to it, and he took some shots, but he didn't take anything graphic. He didn't like go off the top rope you know, top rope to the floor and the, land I think the on, his pack on his kendo stick being dug The kendo into, stick looked yeah, like it hurt. That made ugh, me cringe a whole bunch. Man, just but, thinking about it. But throwing that in, I think Cody knew what he was doing. And if he would have been that hard up and that hurt that he couldn't do it, he wouldn't have done it. And granted, I mean, you can't not tear, tear your pectoral tendon and have it not look like a bruised piece of meat. But hopefully that he knew it was just that and he protected it well enough that it's going to put him on a road to recovery to come back. And hopefully he ends up back sooner rather than later and able to continue what he's doing because he was off on a tear. I mean, you you had him going over multiple times over Seth Rollins, one of the top guys, not just one of the top guys by the fans, but also one of Vince McMahon's top guys, a guy that Vince McMahon has pushed over the years. So if Vince is willing to put Cody over him multiple times over, you know he's got plans for Cody. You just hope he comes back all right and gets into something good. Yeah, props for Cody for going going through with that. Do you want to stay with Hell in a Cell and talk about what was your favorite match of the night? So I wanna I wanna get into a bunch of things here. So you know we had our first episode last week and and I felt good about it. You know we we talked about things. We got into the intricacies of it. And you know it's one of the things that I I really like about pro wrestling. You know I'll I'll never go out and pretend that I'm I'm a veteran of this business. I've never been a part of it. I've I've watched it since I was a kid and watched it religiously. So it's something I feel strongly about and have an opinion about. But I'm I'm not gonna go out and pretend like I know everything about everything. But what I do know is a good concept of what should be going on when things are right and when things are wrong. Um, With that, 
I felt a need to just kind of go off on a little bit of a tangent, a little bit of a tear. I, I felt like we just kind of talked about what happened on the pay-per-view and what happened on the TV shows last week. And I want to I wanna take it in a couple different directions, um, one of which that I really want to bring up right now is um, I've, I've had some gimmicks planned. And, and I haven't gotten a chance to bring them out yet. And, and this one, I, I honestly, I can't take credit for. I have to go to our good buddy, uh, friend of the, the podcast, Josh McLean, who we'll have on very nearly, who uh, gave me some good notes on some things and also gave me this great idea. And I don't see any reason why I shouldn't steal it from him and, and run it with it. So um, I don't know who we have running the soundboard today. I don't know who's back there. I haven't met him yet. Like, I know you, but I don't know any of these folks, right? Like, Eric's been around a little bit, but I haven't seen him in, like, a week or two. So, I don't know who's on the soundboard, but whoever's on the soundboard back there, uh, whether you do it right now or whether you do it in post, uh, I could use, like, a, a load, like a big load of reverb for this intro right now. So, if you can set me up with that and just give me a second, I would absolutely appreciate it. I think we can make that happen. Let me coordinate with one of the interns here ladies and gentlemen this is my new favorite segment we have going on this is this week in pro wrestling arrests yes absolutely jd that's that's what i wanted you to get out of that once again, trying to catch That's, you off guard a little bit here. I, I wasn't expecting you to go this route. No, no. So this is going to sure. be a lot of fun. Um, wrestling obviously has a uh, a bit of a history to it, and some of the characters involved have been a little unsavory in the past. And it's hard to say that the majority of them haven't spent a little bit of time, at least in the back of a police car, if not behind bars. Correct? Sure. So I've got a great one for this week. Um, we're going to start out with it. Technically, the arrest didn't happen this week, but it all ties together. Um, but we're going to go back into the history books. We're going to go back to Dirty Dick Slater. Dirty Dick. Classic Southern wrestler. You Dirty don't hear Dick that Slater. name much. Um, these days uh you no know, you don't and for good reason and we'll get more into that uh dirty dick slater an nwa wrestler uh, mostly known from the georgia promotions he was a former four-time georgia uh heavyweight champion for the nwa um predominantly known in the 70s to the mid 90s as his biggest runs um and the biggest downfall for him well not his biggest downfall but his his downfall that ended his career was that he actually threw out two vertebrae in his back, which caused his uh, career-ending injury and took him out of pro wrestling. Um, but getting into this week in pro wrestling arrests, uh, December 27th, 2003, well after his prime, well after he was out of pro wrestling. Oh, yes. Um, Dirty Dick Slater. And by all means, I'm telling this as a story to bring up some context about the dark side of pro wrestling. I am by no means glorifying any of this and absolutely making it sound like a despicable act which it is however december 27 2003 uh he went to the house of his ex-girlfriend who he'd re you know, recently broken up with um and they'd just broken up but she was uh welcoming him back to grab his belongings from the house uh, during that time, uh, he suddenly punched her in the back of the head and stabbed her three times uh, in the back, in the arm, and in the leg during that altercation. Uh, Dick Slater would continue on to get arrested and charged with attempted murder for that scenario, blame the attack on his um, night before with his uh, doses of Oxycontin and morphine for his back and his problems, and that he had no recollection of the actual incident that happened. On June 10th, 2004, he was convicted of the crimes he was brought up against and got sentenced to get ready for this one year of house arrest two years of probation and ordered to quote unquote stay away from his ex-girlfriend and ordered eighteen thousand dollars in restitution towards her um first for stabbing of all, her three times for stabbing her three times punching her in the that back seems of the a head light right and <laughs> once again bringing up that topic that um Perhaps one year of house arrest is not the uh, the great base point of um, 
legalities and and responsibility that should be brought in on an egali- you know an allegation of attempted murder um one year in house arrest unbelievable right absolutely because he was arrested again january 18th 2007 for harassing her yet again uh making phone calls to her on numerous times and leaving an envelope on her steps with numerous bank statements behind it on that note many good things to say about his wrestling career and what he had done in the south however i feel nothing more than to straight out say uh fuck dirty dick slater what a human piece of shit and may we never have to talk about him on the show again but I'm not once sure again, why we brought him up. Uh, we brought him up because that is what <laughs> pro wrestling is. It is the good, it is the bad, and it's the in-between. And you can't deny that these things existed. And the more that people know about them, the more we can learn from them and hold people accountable to this in the future. You've seen that with folks that. like Nash Carter. You've seen it like Enzo Amore. You see this come up more and more. All we can do is learn from the past. And the best way to do that is to bring it up from time to time. This isn't to give him a pedestal. This isn't to give him a chance to be out there but it is something to talk about and to bring up the absolute heathenism and the absolute shit bag of a person dirty dick slater was and is is that the end of the segment that's that's the end of the segment i don't have anything else I, I, I already said fuck dick slater so <laughs> i guess that was my 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 my, uh, my bow on the end of that package there Sorry to throw you off, man. Uh, like I said, I, I wanted to come out with some new ideas. And once again, like, like we're here. Like we're, we, we, we you, could just plan that, though. Well, no, no, you no, no. You don't have no, to no. surprise me with that. But your reaction's so much better when you don't know it's coming. I guess. But you asked me to do this podcast with you. And yeah, we can, we can talk about what happened on the pay-per-view and what happened on Raw over and over yeah, again. We, but why not? You know, you know what? I'm not here just for you know a, a, a quick hour of fun i i want some intimacy into this i want to i want to get deep into it i want to i want to understand sure. i want to i want to get into things and sometimes you have to you have to throw an elbow sometimes you have to get a little aggressive to get into those bits and pieces and to get people involved on it and no better way to start that off with a piece of shit like dirty dicks later <laughs> Where are you going to go with that, J.D.? Yeah, I don't know. Edit that out, sir. So should we go back to my original question about Hell in a Cell, or, or are we over that? Sure, we could talk more about Hell in a Cell. You, I, I, well, I, I it's on the list. back to that point. Yeah, I mean, it was on my list. It's one of the things I wanted to talk about. Um, first and foremost, before we get into the details of it... Um, it was better than I thought it would be. Holy shit, no. WWE put together a really good pay-per-view. It was way better like, than it should have like been. Like, legit. There was, it was eight, it was seven matches. It wasn't four and a half hours long, so you've already won me over on that point. But then doubling back, when the worst, in my opinion, the worst match on the card was the handicap match between Bobby Lashley and Omos and, and MVP. That's not a bad pay-per-view at all. And I've got complimentary things to say about a bunch of it, but we'll we'll get more into that as we go along. But no, WWE has put out some absolute dumpers of pay-per-views over the past handful of months. And they absolutely delivered on this one and brought a bunch of really great moments into it and a bunch of really great matches. And I'm happy to talk about it. Yeah, the the stakes for this pay-per-view felt you know borderline non-existent to me but just like the matches in a vacuum might have been more entertaining than double or nothing and yeah i mean there there's great things to say about double or nothing and there was a lot of storytelling that went into what those matches held and some of these matches didn't hold a bunch of stakes or if they held stakes they were on almost a, a humorous plane like we talked about it last week uh ezekiel versus kevin owens shouldn't have any legs but it worked out in their storyline and they delivered on that match as well i mean i don't want to get too much into it because it was what it was but owens came out mad and he looked pissed off like he's looked pissed off for the past month and ezekiel had his moments in there and, th- and that was the big thing that that's the selling point for me was that there's been so many elias matches and granted i know they're not the same person but there were so many elias matches that just felt super overly gimmicky and forced together 
this didn't feel like Ezekiel was a gimmick working at it. This felt like a guy that was defending himself against a guy like Kevin Owens, who is legit mad about this, and they got into a blood feud, and Kevin Owens got absolutely angry and brutalized him. I mean, his pop-up powerbomb was fantastic. The couple, you know, as much as I hate that the super kick is overused, the couple super kicks and the stunner at the end really put him away. The way Owens yelled at Ezekiel, the way he yelled at the crowd, fantastic buildup of it. And, and where do you go with it? I hope they just leave it in the dirt and let it go on to something else. But for what they tried doing with that over the past month or two, they succeeded on the end of that. And that match could have been an absolute two-star endeavor, but you hit the three-and-a-half, four-star range on it because they, A, delivered a compelling match, they had something good in the storyline, and you left it with what it should be is that Ezekiel's not hurt by losing this, but Kevin Owens is looking real good, and hopefully, especially with a bunch of your key guys being out right now, put Kevin Owens, put Kevin Steen in that position to be something better like he should be, like he should have been all along. That's an idea right there. I mean, I would have thought that before I knew about Cody being injured, but you throw Cody being injured, man, that's your guy. I mean, you you, you toss that in. I mean, it'd be great to see him in a serious feud and not a comedy feud, but it would also be great to see him I just feel like anyone who faces Roman Reigns for the next few months, it's just it's just filler. They're not winning. It is until they find the right person. It's going to get to that point. It's going to get to that point that somebody's going to take down Roman, and who that is is still up in question marks. And obviously, Cody was leaning towards being that guy, and with him being out for potentially a handful of months, you're, you're, you're throwing that absolutely up into the air and having to find something to do with that so at least give some compelling matches and some you know compelling storytelling to go along with that and i think kevin owens is definitely a guy that can get into that if i have to talk anything about that pay-per-view though um once again i i thought it was a solid pay-per-view there really wasn't a dud of a match on there um but if you break it down for me, as much as I loved Hell in a Cell, as much as I loved all the other things, match the of the women's match was great too. Women's match was fantastic. Uh, Oscar versus Bianca Belair versus Becky Lynch. So yeah, no, if we're gonna get into that, I, I've I've got notes on that. I, I watched, I paid attention. Um, fantastic match. Uh, tons of individual work between all of them. That was one of the best things about it was that they all got a chance to shine. There was never a point that you felt that there was a favorite in that match. They all had the point where they all took the lead. And especially early on in the match, there was so much time spent with them knocking somebody out of the way and having a one-on-one -on -one altercation, be it Becky versus Bianca, be it Oscar versus Becky, so on and so forth. They kept that going where they always had a nice one-on-one -on -one and everybody got a chance to shine and everybody looked like they had a place to win that it created balance for everything, you know, and really when it came down to it, you know, it took a while for it to really become the three person brawl that eventually happened out of it. And, and they did a great job wrapping that up. I mean, jumping ahead to the end of the match, you know, with, uh, with Becky, uh, taking down Oscar and then Bianca tossing her off and getting the pin is great traditional storytelling of, of how that goes down in a, in a triple threat match. But you, you had all these great pieces together. Um, we talked about it last time that, you know, I felt like hell in a cell shouldn't be a pay-per-view in itself. It should be a match type that comes up once or twice a year when it dictates it. And, and it I was, could be I, used on any pay-per-view. It should be used on as any pay-per-view as the situation allows. Yeah. And I was grateful leading into this that Cody versus Seth was the only Hell in a Cell match. However, if I could go back and eat my words, this deserved to be a Hell in a Cell match. Did it need to be? No. And it worked out just fine the way it was. But if there was another match on this card that should have been a Hell in a Cell match, this definitely fit that role for it. And it absolutely would have worked itself out that way. But the story that those women told and what they did with this was fantastic. They, everybody, got to, everybody got a chance to shine out. 
Everybody told the story. There was back and forth. You never really knew who was going to come out on top. And when it really came down to the end, somebody really wrote somebody off and somebody was the opportunist to come in, toss that person out of the way and steal the victory. And not that Bianca Belair has to steal that victory, but she did it from a very smart perspective of being a person in a three-person match and taking that opportunity to capitalize on that move and to get the victory from it. So, no, solid match. Hands down an A in my book. I tried to tee it up for you earlier. Do you want to talk about the Judgment Day match yes, now? Yes, that's what I was trying to get all along. Uh, that is my match of the night. I enjoyed every bit of it. Break it down. You've got six people in this match. You have Liv Morgan. You have AJ Styles. You have Finn Balor versus Rhea Ripley versus Edge versus Damian Priest. And look at that and say that that's not six of the most capable people in WWE right now because they are really when you break that down if you have to look at the six of them uh in in what I see from them in 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 my standpoint Liv Morgan is the weakest I don't want to say weakest character but the weakest competitor of all of them and that's not saying anything she's the bad. least developed character she's the least developed she's over People love Liv Morgan, and and she's still very talented. I'm not saying anything negative about her, but if Liv Morgan is the least over and the least quote-unquote talented person in your six-person match, you've got a great match on your hands right there. I mean, you look at it and break it down. You've got AJ Styles, one of the greatest wrestling personalities of all time. Finn Balor, who is another person that you can include in that list, but especially from his time in, in WWE and the things he's done around there, even if he hasn't gotten the recognition for it. Maybe one of the most underused people on the roster. 100%. And I feel like they used him right in this match, but I feel like they need to use him better down the road because of what he did. He doesn't match. just need to be AJ's tag team partner long term. No. He shouldn't be that guy that's just eating a, eating a loss to Lesnar or AJ's tag team partner. Yeah. I mean, and, and they had that for him. I mean, he had that for him when he won. He was the first universal champion. They were going to push for him like to the moon day. until he got injured. And I don't know why they ever dropped out on him. And it's not like he ever gave us any reason to not believe in him from that. Like, yeah, he got injured and he had to relinquish the title, but like nothing he's ever done has ever made you not think that he's not an amazing, capable wrestler. Well, speaking of relinquishing titles, I do find that that's an interesting difference between the two companies that, you know, in Finn Balor's case, he was only allowed to keep the belt for one day because of his injury. And yet in AD AEW, Tony Khan seems dead set on keeping that belt on CM Punk, even though he's out. Yeah, and that's a that's a different beast altogether. I mean, I think AEW is always trying to differentiate themselves, so maybe this is a uh, calculated move on their part to put that in. I don't think it's necessarily them relying on CM Punk to be their backbone. They have lots of other talent that could do without CM Punk. Was CM Punk the right guy to put the title on, and could he have a great run with it and have another summer of Punk? Absolutely, and I am bummed out that we are not going to be getting that right now, or at least anytime soon, but they can work around that. With Finn, it seemed like that was his opportunity, and when he had to relinquish that, he just never came back the same, even though he has the same ability and the same capability that he always had and what got him to that you know, place in the first place. He had a pretty good run in NXT again, his second run. It was all right. It was it was fun to see. I mean, I've I've enjoyed that uh, guys from the main roster coming back to NXT. Uh, both him and Ziggler, I think both played very active roles in that, and both played good points in getting these people over. I mean, if you're going to have NXT be your developmental, and you're going to have all these people that are going into it with the the base point of it's a bunch of young talent, you you have to have those veterans in in that scenario to bring them in and to help elevate. I mean, if you beat a Finn Balor, if you beat a Dolph Ziggler, that means a lot more than if you beat a Braun Brecker, which I like him a bunch. I think he's been a, a, a great standout and is going to have a good future in this business, but it just doesn't mean as much when he's a guy that has come out, been young, 
you know, barely on their, their TV schedule, won the title, and getting a win over him means far less than getting a win over Finn Balor, who's been not only an NXT champion and one of the top guys in NXT numerous times, but also been one of the top guys on multiple versions of WWE TV. Sometimes seemingly despite his booking, not because of it. True. And that's his resiliency. And he'll always come back from that. I digress. We're getting back into a judgment day versus live Finn and AJ. Yeah, we keep getting away from it. Tell us how much you love the match. It was the most traditional wrestling match of the night. And that's what I loved about it. There were brawls. You're supposed to have brawls in a six person match. There was storyline. You had the heat between them. You had the buildup. You had where this was going. There was something to work for from it. Who was potentially going to turn? Who was going to be the next member of Judgment Day? All this was in question throughout all that. You had the one of my favorite, favorite, favorite bits of not only any tag match, but especially a three-person tag match, the isolation. And that's where we talked about just briefly before with Finn Balor. You had the isolation of Balor that, that the Judgment Day came out, and they, they took him aside, and they made... They made Liv Morgan and they made AJ non-factors. They kept trying to get the tag. They kept teasing it. He was lifted up. He was in a bear hug. He was inches away. He was fingertips away from that tag. And he just kept being brought back to that corner and beaten down until the point that he could make that hot tag to AJ Styles and bring AJ back in. That, while it's been done time and time again and over and over again, that is the penultimate of wrestling storytelling. That is what you want out of these matches. And what I feel a lot of these matches lack a lot. Like, yes, did you see when you were watching this match, if you have paid attention to wrestling over any of the past 30, 40 years, did you not expect Finn Balor to make a hot tag to AJ and have AJ clean house? No, not at all. But that anticipation and that buildup is absolute tradition and absolute penultimate perfect amazing wrestling to just make it happen and to make that significance when aj gets in and cleans house all the more better i absolutely was marking out the entire time that that was happening knowing that that was the buildup was that they're going to keep holding them back it's going to be close it's going to come into it but eventually he's going to make that tag and whether or not that's going to change the outcome of the match that's going to change the tide of the match and that's what's going to build up to that next transition into what you have to have when you have a 20 minute plus match you have to have those transitions in there and there's nothing wrong with running a long 10 minute transition where the heels are absolutely running shop on one guy and keeping him away from his team but it's going to lead to that point that that guy finally gets that tag somebody comes in to save him and really gives you the idea of are they going to change the tide of it or is it going to revert back to what it was? And they did that. And I'm, I'm super astonished, you know, astonished by that. Also doubling back. I'll say this till the cows come home. AJ Styles is one of the sharpest wrestlers in the world. And we've known that for years. I mean, when he was with impact, when he was doing everything else on the Indies, when he was in Japan, AJ Styles was regarded as one of the best in the world. And he is. And when he came into WWE, that wasn't in question either. I mean, his debut at the Royal Rumble was absolutely, lack of better words, phenomenal. But on top of that, I mean, they gave him multiple title runs. He's always been involved in everything, whether he's been the top guy or not. He's always been in the crux of it. And it's because he's a guy that can deliver day in and day out. And not only, I mean, he didn't have to carry anybody through this match, but he can carry anybody through a match. I mean, he did that with the James Ellsworth stuff years ago, but he can hold a great match Omos. with everybody. What's that? He carried Omos. Yes, absolutely. He he helped he helped establish him and allowed him to be that big hulking you know piece of meat that was backing him up while AJ was the the flash and the uh, the technique behind all that. He's shown that time and time again, and AJ is going to go down as one of the the greatest wrestlers of all time. And this was just another occurrence of showing that happening. One of my favorite things about that match, aside from just the tradition of it and how well formulated and built up it was, and while the you know the segments were fairly predictable, they were still done well and executed in the right pace of everything. I think one of my favorite things about it was all the talk about the fourth member of the Judgment Day coming up, and 
people have said Tommaso Ciampa, people have said Finn Balor, and Finn Balor was definitely in the front running for that. People even said Liv Morgan potentially had the the plan for that. I think one of the biggest selling points of that was after the match was over, they showed the Judgment Day in the ring standing tall, and they kept that camera low at the canvas, and they showed Finn there holding his ribs I noticed and rolling that. around, and they, they, they held that shot for a long time, and it kept you know vicariously teasing like is edge going to reach down and give his hand to finn and pull him up and grab him say give me a hug you're one of us i was absolutely anticipating that and my surprise that they didn't do that is a fantastic storytelling because you didn't need that and you can also bring that up tonight on raw you can bring that up a week or two down the road as you continue this story if you choose to continue that story but the fact that they didn't feel forced into putting another person in that mix and the fact that they knew well enough that so many people were talking about finn being the potential person to be brought into that and they absolutely made camera edits to allude to that happening but never actually let it blow off uh Credit to, man, I, I won't do this often. Credit to Kevin Dunn and the team. They did a great job of making me guess as to, are they going to pull this trigger right now or are they not? And they didn't, and I'm glad they didn't. All right, there, we've got a couple of things we've still got to hit. The major, major, major one, I think, is the MJF promo Wednesday on Dynamite. Some people are calling it a pipe bomb. I know we like to reference CM Punk. I know you have pretty strong feelings about it. I do, and I would I would rank it right up there with it. It was a fantastic promo. I mean, with, with the program that MJF has been going through recently, uh, that was a great way for it to come to a head. And, you know, breaking kayfabe a little bit, you know, on the pay-per-view, he took a beating from Wardlow. Wardlow, absolutely, I don't want to say he squashed him during that match, but he squashed him. He gave him 10 power bombs. Yeah, ten big power. I don't bombs. think MJF got in so much as a not chop. much. Yeah, MJF did not really come out selling a bit of that on Wednesday, which adds all the more drama to this scenario. That considering came out. that they stretchered him out, you would have thought, yes. yeah, stretch stretchered him out with the uh, with the oxygen mask over and his the eyes. neck brace, yeah. But no, it it absolutely seemed like it was going to be breaking down that way. And, you know, for him to come out and to speak that way, I, I was I was excited by it. It was it was definitely something it, MJF can talk and I'll listen to him talk over and over and over again and never get tired of it. It was a boiling point for him. It was hitting that. And, you know, is this a work that made its way into a shoot? Is this a shoot that made its way into a work? Is this a, you know, uh, amalgamation of a bunch of things in between? It's still very much up in the air. Does MJF really want to leave? And, I mean, he said before, you know, as a child, he wanted to go to WWE. Is this his way of working towards that? And having Tony Khan being understanding of what's best for the business and giving him a chance to voice that because realizing that this is a good storyline for both sides or is this a buildup that's strictly internal to where it's going to stick with them just building up his resentment with AEW and staying with that internally? It, it's hard to tell at this point, but whatever it is leaning towards, uh, they've accomplished it. And I, I, I can't tell you the end result of that, but whatever's coming next, I want to see. For sure, for sure. There has been some mixed reaction some people saying that you know exposing this much of the inner workings or whatever could have negative consequences for for aw do you think that there's any no anything no, to that not at all i mean how much have we exposed of the business in you know recent years throughout any promotion like that's that's just par for the course these days you know now it, the the internet is out there. The dirt sheets are out there, more prevalent than they were before. I mean, the dirt sheets used to be the dirt sheets. You had to be in the know to get them. Now you can look up anything. If anything is pre-recorded, if they're pre-recording because the Westminster Dog Show is coming up, or they're recording, you know, if they recorded, if they're in England doing a show, and it's technically morning in America when they recorded in the evening in England, those reports are showing up 
in America that morning before it airs. So no, that, that that's not a thing anymore. What is a thing is the fact of trying to find a way to blur those lines of reality to keep a level of kayfabe with still breaking it. I think there is a balance point between the two. I think you can have the acknowledgement of the internet wrestling community and everything else that's out there, but also keeping the kayfabe of the show, but still blurring those lines to where the two intersect together. And I think that that's naturally where wrestling is going. It's no longer a matter of this story where you're not going to see a heel and a face eating an IHOP afterwards, because it would be detrimental to the business that those two people shouldn't be seen in public anymore. But it's now a matter of if you see those two in public anymore, how does that work into a storyline as to why they're out in public knowing that it's after the show? And that is where wrestling is really needing to go and where it's really needing to take off is to find a way to blur those lines and still keep some form of kayfabe, but still acknowledge the fact that the world is an information superhighway. We have access to all this stuff. Shit, we find, we find out about people being released before they find out about being released. So it's not anything new. It's not anything foreign but it's out there and how to mesh those two worlds together to still make it a cohesive storyline you know hell if i know where this is going but one thing i will say about AEW is that they manage to maintain a certain level of unpredictability that wwe still hasn't quite figured out and i think that applies both in like terms of like where a story is going to go and who's going to win a match and situations like this with MJF. It's just, that's the interesting part. I have no idea what's going to happen with it. And that's the best part for me too. I feel like I'm fairly smart to the business. I've watched it for shit. 30 something years now. I, I get a lot of the tropes. It's the fact that they're finding new ways to mesh that together. That keeps me guessing. I, I want to be surprised. I don't want to go in and see a segment and be like, well, I know where this is going. And that doesn't make me feel good. It doesn't make me feel good that I figured that out. It makes me feel bummed out that I am spoiled on something that should be entertaining to me. Like I was a 13 year old all over again. So I'm glad they're finding those ways of going about it. And you know, it's, it's interesting to me that everybody is really up in arms about this. I mean, once again, credit where credit's due is a fantastic promo from MJF, uh, using chorus language, getting into it, calling Tony Khan a fucking Mark, man, he got into it. There is something that I think we should hit before we go. Please do, please do. Yeah. Originally, my plan was to talk about how I went to the 901 Wrestling Show on Saturday, and I was going to give major props to Geo Savage and Don Montana for having an amazing match. But earlier this afternoon, I saw that one of the other performers on the show who also had a great match, Devin Taylor, who's also known as the wild card Devin Grant, passed away. And it's kind of a bummer note to go out on, but I thought it was worth mentioning that a local wrestling talent had, you know, lost his life. No, and, and it, it, it is a bummer to go out on. Um, I'm not going to pretend like I'm good friends with him. I'm not going to pretend that I'm super familiar with him. I think I've seen him perform live once. Um, I enjoyed what I saw, but Saturday was my first time seeing him also. So I don't have a huge relationship to him, but it's it's really it was shocking it's to still, me to see. It's still a, a local that's going out and trying to reestablish Memphis wrestling to what it it once was. I mean, M Memphis is still a hub for for great pro wrestling, and there's a lot of it out there. But I mean, yeah, if you compare Memphis wrestling in 2022 to you know the late 70s, early 80s. Uh, that's it's by no means a knock at any of the promotions around here, but it's hard to say that the late seventies, early eighties wasn't far more uh, socially important to the greater Memphis populace than wrestling is in 2022. But nevertheless, it, it doesn't go without saying that that's still a person that, that put themselves on the line that was out 
working their craft and doing something that they wanted to do and trying to build something around here. And it's a, it's a shame when you lose that. And I've, I've had friends in the business that have, uh, have passed away and it's, it's tough to, to deal with that. Um, shit, that's getting me, that's getting me real set up about my own personal stuff. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to turn the mic to you, man. Yeah. I think some other time, we can get into 901 wrestling and and uh you know the the current Memphis wrestling scene but uh, suffice it for right now i think we can uh, just say rest in peace devin taylor aka devin grant the wild card absolutely and Hold, take a minute take a second no thank you i good on it it's 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 one of those things in in life that that comes around and comes at you is you you have these experiences and man keep your folks close love them be around them um enjoy the people that you have entertaining you and realize that they are out there giving their all for you whether it's in a room in front of 20 people or whether it's in a stadium full of 20,000 people that's still people that are putting their bodies on the line and really to break it down they're doing it for their love of it and sure maybe it's paying the bills maybe it's helping pay some of the bills but they do it because they love it and because they love this craft of pro wrestling that we love so much so whether i'm super personal or super familiar with somebody i have to tip my cap and give credit to anybody that is willing to dedicate themselves to what they did and it's a put their body on the line it's a shame to 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 lose anybody in that situation especially somebody that was seemingly playing a very integral role to the development of memphis pro wrestling in a time that memphis needs more of a build-up in pro wrestling yeah well, all right, man. Do you well, want way to be a bummer, JD? That's, that's <laughs> real, real great, man. My way to way to take the show off on a high note. So, hey, do you want to tell folks how they can find us on social media? Oh man, this seems like a totally forced promo right now, but let me do my best on that. Uh, so, we have this podcast here. It's available on just about any place that you can consume your podcast: uh, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify. Uh, soon to be on BackToTheLight.net. Be remiss if I didn't include those good folks and include. Uh, us into their podcast network um, we'll have a facebook page coming up eventually but once again of marks and men a wrestling podcast you can just look up of marks and men on any of those platforms and find us very very easily um, haven't gotten too active on it yet but we do have at of marks and men on twitter which will start coming around hopefully this week to get a little bit more social interaction and for all of you out there if you have anything you want us to talk about questions comments concerns you think i'm an asshole about something something freaking tell me i'm here to take it and i'll take you on right there and if you want to do that the best way to do that is of marks and men at gmail.com that's of marks and men at gmail.com bring it to maybe we'll have something to talk about maybe i'll just read your email and laugh at you and not give you a chance to talk about it but that just depends on how good you are and how i'm feeling about things but jd it's been it's been a it's been a show, hasn't it? It's been it has been a great show. I'm sorry to to throw you off a little bit. I know I, I pulled a, a couple wild cards on you here. No no pun intended on that, but uh, I, I wanted to, to I wanted to get some honest reaction out of you here. And given that honest reaction, oh, I'm going to be doing so much more of that. Well, I'm going to be ready for you next time. <laughs> You'll never be ready for me, sir. All right, see you, man. On that note, guys, see you next time.